Tonight's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the NIV version. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, I wonder, uh, are you ready for Christmas? I think the shops are shutting. Um, this is a different year, isn't it? A, a different Christmas. And uh, there's a line in a carol that I was reminded of the other day that for me sums up this year at Christmas. Let me read you this line. Uh, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A weary world. Doesn't that sound like... Our world, doesn't that feel like Christmas this year? We're weary. We're weary of restrictions. We're weary of lockdowns. We're weary of the uncertainty of knowing what's going to happen, of uh, things changing, of the goalposts moving. We might be weary of relationships in our family. Perhaps there's somebody in your extended family who has a different position on vaccinations or how well the government is handling things and that causes tension and that just anxiety hangs around in the air it's awkward isn't it and it, and it just makes us all so weary and I, and I feel like we're kind of limping over the finish line and making it to Christmas uh, and some of us aren't sure who's coming tomorrow and whether or not somebody's experienced lockdown or encountered a close contact or and it's just a really difficult time, a weary Christmas. And it's fascinating, right? Because that hymn wasn't written in the past 
few months. It was written 200 odd years ago. And my sense is that whilst we are weary, more weary this year than what we are most years, actually much of human history, most people are weary most of the time. And we have just had a pretty privileged 50 odd years of a lack of pandemics, a lack of wars, of economic prosperity, of stability. Uh, and we've had it pretty good, but this year we are definitely weary. Not just weary, I think without hope. That sense of new beginnings and making uh, New Year's resolutions and thinking about the future and planning for holidays and that also has evaporated, hasn't it? The energy that you need for that, it's, it's just, it's not there. And that sense of um, having some certainty so that you can plan or dreaming and not having your hopes dashed, that also is very absent this year. And yet we're coming to Christmas and this is supposed to be the season of hope. If you... Uh, have been to a traditional church, um, perhaps you've experienced the Advent calendars, uh, Advent candles before, and for the four Sundays before Christmas, we, write, we light a candle, and the first one is hope, and then peace, and joy, and love. And I think perhaps joy is also missing, it's also dialed down this year, but for me, I suspect hope is the missing ingredient this Christmas because of our weariness. So how is it that Jesus brings hope to a weary world? I want to just remind ourselves of the answers that we get to that question. So here's one answer. And the answer is this. Jesus comes as a saviour. Uh, he comes to a world that is weary because it's trapped in sin. Because we have not lived as God tells us we ought to live. We break his rules. We're out of step, out of relationship with him. Uh, that causes pain and angst and we bring grief onto ourselves. Um, but Jesus pays for our sins and uh, uh, our eternal destiny is secure. And uh, because our sins have been forgiven... Uh, we can uh, have a restored relationship with God and we can know with certainty that we will live for eternity with him and that will be the place where there's no more weeping and no more gnashing of teeth. And I want to say, all of that is true. In fact, it's fascinating. Um, if you go to other places in the world um, and other points in history, hope for Christians is a much more real, tangible, repeated theme. And these are people who live in dire circumstances, unlike what we do. And I want to say, it is true. Sin does bring about weariness. It brings about brokenness in our relationships. It does dash our hope. But I want to push back on that answer a little bit. Because I think the risk of that answer is, it sounds like all the benefits of Jesus coming are actually in the next life. That the hope is exclusively in heaven and it's not here. Let me read you a few verses from Scripture, from Jesus. Um, this is how he teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as in heaven. The kingdom is coming here and now. Some of that hope we ought to experience in this life. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, Jesus says in John 10.10. And he's not just talking about the future. The hope begins now and carries on into the future. Or again, Jesus, Luke 4. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. What does Jesus do in his earthly ministry? He does heal blind people. Blind people in this life. People who are oppressed in this life. People who are slaves to sin in this life are freed. And so there is a a both and to the hope that Jesus brings. Yes, it's eternal, but it's also in the present. And it's that sense of hope in the present that is absent this Christmas. So how else do we think about hope? That's partially true, but more can be said. I think there's another common picture of hope, and it runs something like this. Oh, hope is um, the kind of life I hope for is a life that's free from pain, free from stress, free from tensions, from difficult relationships. It's like life is a walk in the park or a walk on the beach and you can do it every day because you're early retired and you've got your health and, and the weather's always beautiful and it's perfect one day, perfect the next. And, uh, we have that sort of sense, I think, of hope. And so I suspect part of what we've been hoping for lately is an end to restrictions, an end to lockdown, an end to uncertainty, an end to divisions and tensions in our family, an end to the dreariness of Groundhog Day, um, of not being able to plan about where we're going and, and have some, some assurance about being able to see and catch up with family and friends interstate. And I, I think that's the kind of hope that we imagine. I read a great article this week from uh, Stan Grant. Um, he's uh, an ABC commentator. He used to be on a commercial TV station. Uh, he's now an um, overseas analyst with the ABC. Uh, and he was born into a large indigenous family. And he talks about how despite the fact that they were poor and despite the fact that they were black and this was decades ago and there was far greater uh, racism and poverty in his huge family than what there is at present, his memories of Christmas were happy and were filled with hope. Fascinating, isn't it? We have this notion that hope is about having happiness and fulfillment when suffering is absent. And Stan Grant is saying, in my experience, we had less when I was young. There was more racism when I was young and we had more hope when I was young. How does that work? What's going on there? Stan Grant, by the way, comes from a Christian family and talks about how his uncles um, 
believed that God was against racism and they looked to Martin Luther King as part of their inspiration. Well, let me say a few things about the hope that Jesus thing brings. Firstly, it's a hope that Jesus brings as a fellow human being. It's not an otherworldly hope. It's not ethereal. It's not a pie in the sky after you die. No, Jesus comes in the flesh and lives a hope-filled life so that we can see and experience and know the benefits of Jesus being one of us and living with hope. And Jesus' hope is not the absence of suffering. In fact, his life is full of suffering. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, well, take up your cross. I'm carrying a cross. You're going to have to put your hand to the plow. And Paul reflects on this too. Hope is not the absence of suffering. In fact, in Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Hope flourishes in suffering. Perhaps Stan Grant was onto something. Perhaps we've got it back to front. In fact, part of what Stan Grant also says is that what have we replaced hope with? And the answer is not hopelessness. The opposite of hope is not so much hopelessness. At the moment, his perspective, and I agree with him, is that the opposite of hope is cynicism. Why does he say that? What is hope? Hope is imagining that the future will be better, that the, it's seeing the best in another person. It's believing that there's going to be care and growth and movement forward and cynicism is seeing the worst in another person and, and being sceptical and imagining that things are going to um, get worse and people are going to betray you and you're going to get hurt. Cynicism is a toxic way of seeing the world. It, it doesn't generate anything positive. It's not, to use a Christian word, a Jesus-type word, it's not redemptive. Jesus comes to redeem. And yet, we teach each other and our young people to see and to name up the brokenness in our world. And we imagine that to be cynical is to be insightful and virtuous and somehow you can protect yourself if you're cynical. That is not the life that Jesus lives. Jesus sees the best and wants the best and gives his best so that others might be blessed. Hope brings a sense of perspective. There are some things that really aren't eternal and they don't matter all that much and hope clarifies what's important and what isn't. So this is what ought to happen when we see Jesus. This is why Jesus came. And I'll go back to that carol, O holy night, the stars are shining brightly, it is the night of our dear Saviour's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt 
its worth. So whoever wrote this carol, what they're suggesting is that when humanity sees Jesus, something in our soul says, that is a life worth living. The choices, the, the servant-heartedness, the pouring out oneself, the, the uh, living for God and living for others, the, the way that Jesus comes in the flesh and expresses the human life, something in our soul resonates and says, that is beautiful, that is something to aspire for, that is a hope-filled redemptive life and if I could try and live like that then not only would I be an agent of hope but I would be filled with hope and my life would be the richer for it that's why Jesus came so I want you to ask yourself a question this Christmas are you feeling like weariness is in oversupply and hope is in short supply. Well, if it is, I want to ask you, what are your assumptions about what hope is? And I want to suggest that you might want to go back and have another read and another look at the life of Jesus and notice where hope comes from for him. And I think we try and capture it in this little diagram here at Dapto Anglican. What does Jesus do? He gathers around him 12 and then around that 100 of people who share his values and he invests in them and they in each other and they form a community and it's a positive life-giving community. And they don't just live for each other, it's not just a holy huddle but they actually go out into the world and they care for others. And Jesus also takes time to withdraw and spend time with God and to remind himself that life is bigger, that he's part of something far more grand than just his own little story. He's here to tell God's story. And Jesus has some core practices to sustain those three values. So I want to suggest that if you're finding hope in short supply this year, maybe you could just go back to those basics. Who are the core people in your life who speak and reaffirm the values that you most esteem? Where are you serving just as Jesus came to serve? And how are you spending time with God and reminding yourself that the universe and the story of the world and the story of your life is bigger than just you and the few things, the few challenges that you might happen to be facing in the last year or two? And what are your core practices that will make sure that they're important. Jesus came and he came as a person 
and expressed a God-honouring life that a human being ought to live. And we want to be able to look at him and say, that's a hope-filled life. I want to live like that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you did come. We thank you that you were obedient, that you loved us, that you expressed the human condition in perfection and you modelled for us how it is to be a child of God and to live in step with and as a witness to God's presence and activity in our world. And we're conscious that maybe we might have stepped away from some of that and this is a great time of year for us to look to Jesus again and to say, Jesus, we want to follow you every day, every step. We want to keep in step with you. And we pray this, God, for your glory. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices beyond the breaks a new and glorious morn was born
Just some quicker, you can come back up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you do uh, love us so much. We thank you that um, you did send your son. We thank you that he was born of an earthly family and that uh, he shared our human condition. We thank you for uh, the gift, for his willingness to leave your side, uh, the glory, the majesty, the power of uh, that position that he held. And Jesus, you gave that up willingly because you loved us. We thank you for uh, the life that you lived. And we pray that we might look to you and your life and we might try and model ourselves we might try and follow you as your disciples Uh, you gathered around yourself men women and you invited them to do life with you and to step in your footsteps and we want to uh, at this difficult time we want to just say If we're feeling lost, Jesus, we want to look to you and just follow you step by step. And Jesus, you also walked places where we couldn't walk. Ultimately, you walked um, to the cross and you went there because you loved us as well. And so we're conscious that uh, when we don't live as we ought, when we are out of step with you, that there is forgiveness that's possible, Jesus, through your death and resurrection. And that's a beautiful gift as well. Lord, we want to pray for our uh, family celebrations this year. We want to pray that uh, there would be uh, a lack of conflict, that there would be um, peace and joy and harmony um, in ways that reflected those who gathered around your cradle and celebrated your coming. And may you be at the centre of our celebrations. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.